What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another brand new edition of Wired In. Thank you so much for stopping by today. Uh, you could be doing a whole lot of other things with your day, but the fact that you've decided to give us an hour of your day means a lot to us. I'm Blake Johnson alongside my co-host Spencer Coles. Spencer, what's new in the world of the Coles? I'm doing all right, man. I, uh, Funnily enough, uh, I watched a pretty interesting movie uh, last night. Uh, called THX 1138. It was, oh, it was a, interesting. I, I yeah, it was, I uh, yeah, apparently, uh, it was like, I think it was George Lucas's like first ever film that he did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it's actually, it's really good actually. Um, not that I wasn't expecting it to be good, but, um, but yeah, it, it's basically like, I, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but, um, but it essentially, it's kind of, it's kind of set in this like, um, dystopian this dystopian futuristic society where uh essentially human reproduction and like the concepts of family are basically uh outlawed they're 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 made illegal Mm. and you're basically everyone's mandated to be to take like antidepressants and wow uh, yeah it's it's actually um a really a really really good uh like i just again i because like i you know i i never heard of it like um because you you would think especially with it being uh one of you know being made by george lucas that it'd be more prominent than it is but um but yeah it's actually really good (laughs) yeah i had heard about it on um so there's this there's this uh, documentary on star wars that it's probably my favorite documentary on the making of the original trilogy it's called empire of dreams and it starts talking about the early days of George Lucas and how he got into film and stuff like that. And they talk about this THX movie and it was actually pretty controversial at the time that it was made just because like, I, I'd have to go back and look, but there was like some things that he did in it that people at the time thought were too taboo or they were just too weird or didn't make any sense. Um, but then there were other people that thought it was a work of genius or, or at least, uh, you know, really thought-provoking material at the time and uh that's about as much exposure to th- that i've had to it i i don't know how you watched it but I, i've been meaning to watch it just to kind of see it um but yeah that's like that's definitely pre-star wars that's pre-american graffiti even um that's like early yeah I, I think George Lucas. i think it was i think it was like his first film um mm-hmm. and i think i think a lot of the criticism at the time of the film was um that it was it, that it kind of lacked the means of like uh, in terms of from, from a production value sense mm-hmm. um but but even still like because he he went he went back later on and uh touched it up with some cg work and like the the vistas and everything like especially for it being like early 2000s cg still like look incredible and uh, the, the editing, the editing, especially like I, I, I hate the sentiment that goes around about George Lucas that <clears throat> that he's not a you know a prolific editor that he, you know he doesn't uh, know what he's doing in terms of like actually editing film. But if you watch the movie, I mean that that film is really masterfully edited. Um, mm. So, uh, but yeah, interesting. Which, uh, which speaking of uh, of editing and and the Lucases. Um, there's another particular, uh, Lucas, 
that have uh, said some interesting uh, statements about Star Wars. Uh, or an Marcia ex-Lucas, Lucas. I guess, at this point. Yeah, yeah I guess <laughs> intended comedy would be ex-Lucas. But uh, apparently, uh, I think it was sometime around last week, uh, Marcia Lucas, who's famously known for editing the Star Wars movies, uh, I think she did Taxi Driver, and like she's, she's done a lot of really good stuff. Um, but she effectively came out, uh, and I think, I'm not sure exactly who the exclusive, who, who she did the exclusive with, but she said that when asked about, um, her thoughts on Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams, um, I guess influence on, on Star Wars, she said, quote, they don't have a clue about Star Wars. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's... Which is... It's a bombshell. I, I I was losing my mind with this drop. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's about as critical as you can be towards towards uh, people like that. And um, yeah, I'm not sure who did the exclusive either, but basically, this is the quote. And actually, it's it's part of. And I really want to read this book. Um, it's part of. Um, it's an interview in. Uh, J.W. Rensler's book, Howard Kazanian, A Producer's Life, he did uh, producer work on the Indiana Jones films and other work with George Lucas. And he's, it, it's a very interesting book from what I've heard from it, so I really want to read it. But it's part of that book. And in that book, she says, um, I like Kathleen, meaning Kathleen Kennedy. I always liked her. She was full of beans. She was really smart and really bright, really wonderful woman. And I liked her husband, Frank. Uh, Frank, um, by the way, Frank Marshall... Uh, Kathleen's, I don't know if they're still married, but he worked also on the, uh, Indiana Jones trilogy and some other Mm -hmm. stuff with George. So very close ties to George Lucas. And so she continues by saying, now that she's running Lucasfilm and making movies, it seems to me that Kathy Kennedy and J.J. Abrams don't have a clue about Star Wars. They don't get it. And J.J. Abrams is writing these stories. When I saw that movie where they kill Han Solo, I was furious. I was furious when they killed Han Solo. Absolutely, positively, there was no rhyme or reason to it. I thought, you don't get the Jedi story. You don't get the magic of Star Wars. You're getting rid of Han Solo. Um, Now, I mean, I get what she's saying. Obviously, Han Solo was not a Jedi, but I get what she's saying, uh, what what she's trying to say. And to be be fair, and, and I really am trying to be fair here, there really was no way to make The Force Awakens without killing Han Solo because Harrison Ford has wanted that character to die since Empire Strikes Back. So I don't think there was any way you'd be able to cast Harrison Ford in another Star Wars movie unless they killed off his character because he just, I mean, you yeah. see interviews with him. He's just so tired of it. He, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't, he, you ask him about basic things about the Jedi and the Force. He's like, I don't know what that is. He He's just, you know, he's just Harrison Ford. He's not invested he, he's grateful for the character because it brought him success and allowed him to do all this other stuff but he's not deeply invested in star wars he's just like it's it's cool and everything but you know so but i i understand what she's saying though she's she's echoing a lot of the frustrations that you and i have shared multiple times on this podcast of how it just doesn't feel like star wars anymore with those sequels you know, oh, and, definitely, and and I was surprised because because like when I saw the headline, I was like, oh, it's probably just some you know some writer trying to like make some clickbait title. We or got this covered, trying to <laughs> you know, yeah, their usual stuff. But no, it's it's legit. Yeah. But no, uh, when I read the full quote, I was like, holy shit! Like, 
I mean, I mean, I guess she's able to, you know, she's not under, she's not under NDA, so I mean, she can say whatever she wants. But I was like, granted, at this point, I mean, JJ, JJ himself has already admitted that there was no plan to the sequel trilogy. So I guess, I guess all all bets are off when it comes to you know, um, criticism leaking about the Star Wars sequels. But yeah, it just it, dude, it blew me away because it just it it validated every single. <laughs> criticism that we've had with the sequel trilogy yeah and she goes on i'm guessing that this interview took place around the time of the last jedi because she doesn't mention anything about rise of skywalker so it sounds like she had been interviewed around last jedi because uh she goes on and says um she criticizes the deaths of han solo luke and leia and ray uh not the death of ray but the character ray and she says they have Luke disintegrate. They killed Han Solo. They kill Luke Skywalker and they don't have Princess Leia anymore. And they're spitting out movies every year. And they think it's important to appeal to a woman's audience. So now their main character is this female who's supposed to have Jedi powers, but we don't know how she got Jedi powers or who she is. Mm-hmm. It sucks. The storylines are terrible. Just terrible. Awful. You can quote me. JJ Abrams, Kathy Kennedy. Talk to me. I'm like, Holy cow, that is harsh. <laughs> Doesn't get more uh, clear cut than that. I mean, I mean, if you're if you're still <clears throat> one of those Star Wars fans that's still hanging around with with Disney's involvement in in the franchise, like how? I guess my question is how how are you still excited for anything that Disney has to offer at this point? I just at least to, just from my perspective i just i mean it, it it's it, even from the people who've made the original films themselves are saying like yeah this just isn't what star wars is like this just like at least it per- pertaining to the sequel trilogy mm-hmm. um it's just like it, yeah i i don't yeah, and you know my my perspective is uh, personally, you know, the sequels just aren't for me. I don't I don't like pretty much any of them. Like as far as the entirety of the film, there's there's things I find interesting and wish they would have pursued. But you know, if you like the sequels, I don't have any problem with you. There's nothing wrong with liking them if you like them. I just oh yeah, know, that's that's it, that's not really what I'm arguing. It's more yeah. just like it seems like the if there was any form of excitement for new Star Wars titles, it's like, it's just dead. Like, I don't, like, they, I mean, and, and mainly due to them botching the sequel trilogy. Um, yeah. I just, I don't know. It, it seems to me like it's just, if they are going to get people invested in Star Wars as an IP again, they're going to have to really really do some hardcore um possibly rebooting um or, or not rebooting i should say because i don't want to give them that idea but um retconning but, maybe yeah at least retconning the sequels um at yeah. the very least yeah and i i think to some extent they are trying uh with like the the star wars series and stuff because for my just from what i've seen myself i i'm more interested in the series in the movies at this point. I mean, Rogue One was really good, obviously. Uh, so was Solo, even. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I feel like... I'm I feel more, like... Oh, go ahead. 
I was just gonna say I'm more interested in the in the series as a whole just because mm-hmm. it's they're more able to flesh out characters and just draw things out more. And even if even if the the series isn't perfect, I mean, you know, there's issues with the Bad Batch, but I still enjoy it. Um, there's issues with the Mandalorian. I still enjoy it. It's still something I look forward to watching. Um, there's there's things that happen in in these different series, and what's nice too is they're giving more creative control to more people. Not necessarily all the people that I want to have input in it, but they're they're <laughs> yeah. trying to find people instead of just you know J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson. They're trying to find more people that are invested in Star Wars. And it's kind of one of the things that I I can't really give my full review on it yet because I've only seen one episode. But one of the things that I've gathered from the Star Wars Visions, which just came out, it's like an anime samurai type mm-hmm. Jedi thing. Um, it's, it's actually the first episode I thought was really good as far as it just being different and being something that's kind of produced well. Um, but from the interviews that I've seen, they're trying to appeal to, to multiple aspects of like their fans and people who like different things. And, and you know, there were people complaining about, Oh, it's, it, I don't like, you know, there's no reason to do anime or no reason to do these, uh, samurai stuff. It's like, well, star Wars, George Lucas was influenced by some of this stuff. So just, doesn't mean you have to like it it just means you know they're trying to find different ways of appealing to different groups of people so it leaves me with some amount of optimism at the same time like kathleen kennedy and these other heads that are trying to make these films and do all you know the forces female type stuff and all these propaganda things i just i'm i'm so done with it and we talked about on our last show of one of the one of the writers that's going to be doing this Kotor remake doesn't even like Kotor, and you yeah, know it's I it's think, just things like that make me concerned. <laughs> yeah, it's just you have all these people, and like I get it, you're not going to be able to get everybody on the project who has an extensive amount of knowledge on Star Wars mm-hmm. or even has a deep passion for Star Wars. Like I get that, but I mean the fact that she doesn't like the. The, the games is like and, and the just the overall like premise of the universe is like that's a big fucking deal and, yeah. it, and it, it just it, it, and it only just in, in statements like this from Marcia just only further highlight like how how Lucasfilm is operating within it's just it, it it gives you just a glimpse of how they're going about making these um these new projects at, at least for a good majority of them it's like it's just yeah I, I think it's just it's just really telling and mm-hmm. and again we there it seems like uh, the the few people who were still shilling for the sequel trilogy have kind of abandoned ship because why, because well, one why the hell would you stay on at this point because it's like everything about the the sequel trilogy sequel trilogy itself is dead like i think i think uh uh john boyega has said that he's not interested in interested in doing any anything related to star wars 
Um, well, if you Daisy just walk Ridley, through, if, if you just walk through stores in the merchandising section, I mean, remember how prolific the sequel merchandising used to be, and now it's like they're bringing back prequel stuff, they're bringing back more <laughs> OT stuff, and they're merchandising yeah. more of the stuff from like you know the Bad Batch and the Mandalorian. They're focusing more on that stuff. There's still sequel stuff out there, but it's not near as pervasive as it used to be. Yeah. And I think I think my my biggest concern with um, anything that's anything that's in the works currently for Star Wars, like like for example, uh, I I really uh, didn't like how the Mandalorian in season two was kind of had some ties to the sequels, mm, um, mm-hmm. which which I get like to a degree it's kind of inevitable to to a certain extent, but. Unfortunately, um, yeah, but it, it's just I felt like the Mandalorian needed to stay as far away as possible from the sequel material, and it, it, it they kind of like did the polar opposite of that. And mm-hmm. I'm worried that more uh, that future content that they make is going to be like still shackled to the, the sequel trilogy material. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know if you've read this or not, but I've I've seen some of the comic book content that's come out um, for the Vader series that's been worked on, and it's frustrating because they just did one recently. I don't remember the title of it, but they did one where uh, Vader goes to Exegol, uh, which Exegol is the planet in the Rise of Skywalker where uh, Palpatine is. And he's he's basically searching for what ultimately Luke tries to find. I think it's the Wayfinder or something like that. And so they're trying to connect it to uh, the the sequels. And it's and it's like you know Vader he, he's aware of Palpatine's plan in case something goes wrong to clone himself. And it's like first of all that makes no sense because if Vader knew about all this. Does it make any sense that between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, I don't know, Anakin's ghost wouldn't come back and warn Luke, hey, just so you know, Palpatine's <laughs> yeah. still alive. Like, it makes By the way, no, never died. <laughs> no sense at all that you would make that. And they're trying so hard with some of this stuff to make it all make sense, but it doesn't. That, Like you said earlier, the director them- himself has come out and said that there really was no plan. The lead actress in the trilogy... Daisy Ridley said Admitted, there yeah. there was no plan as far as <laughs> her lineage. They just kept spitballing that. stuff. And it's like they're telling you there's no plan, and yet they're still pushing this out there. Why? It, because there are people out there that will just eat it up anyway, and they don't care. Yeah, because it, it will inevitably make money because yep. it's Star Wars. Oh, yeah. And I think that's the really depressing thing about all this is that <laughs> they can just re- continuously character assassinate and destroy the overall continuity of the universe of star wars and people will just like you said just keep eating it up i mean i feel like the last jedi kind of set the standard for people just kind of accepting slop for cinema now <laughs> like i mean i mean honestly it's like people just want their content and they want it now and it's like they it's just it seems like a majority of people just don't have standards when it comes to like film and like TV series that they watch. They just they have no through line with like what they appreciate about the the content that they enjoy like at all. And yeah, it's just 
it seems like it's only going to keep getting worse, especially with this, uh, all the, especially with this new phase of the, of the MCU. But, um, yeah, but, um, yeah. But, and, uh, and, and here's the thing too, as far as Marcia Lucas goes, I, I respect her, her viewpoint, especially more than like the average Joe, just because she has insight and to not just, she helped, you know, edit the original trilogy and she knows Kathleen Kennedy and, and some of these people. But at the same time, like she also went on to say that she hates the prequels and that when she went and saw Phantom Menace, she went and cried in her car because it was so bad. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, an opinion is an opinion. Um, So take it for what it's worth. I may not agree with every single thing she says about Star Wars. Um, But at the same time, like it's at least worth noting. You know, I saw people on online that are normally into Star Wars and stuff. And they just kind of just dismissed her viewpoint altogether. And like, well, it's just her opinion. She did, you know, who cares? She's just, she's just triggered. I'm like, no, she, she has a deep connected history to these films. You could argue almost as much as George Lucas, because she was obviously married to him, but she was, she worked with him. I, I heard this really cool fun fact about her and the original trilogy that I did not know. Uh, but she was like a, a major figure in making the original trilogy look what it looked like on screen. Um, oh, yeah. She, one I of think the, she was like the main editor, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. And one of the things that I did not know about, so at the very end of The Return of the Jedi, the the famous scene where Vader picks up the Emperor and throws him down the shaft and there's this big nuclear explosion, that originally wasn't going to be in there. Originally, I think it was George and whoever uh, was like, eh, he, he was just going to fall and splat at the bottom. That was it. And Marcia's like, no, he's the freaking emperor of the universe. He needs to have this massive, you know, glorious death. You know, it has to be this big deal. So she's the one that said we need to have this explosion in there, and that's how we got it. Um, so and I, the, I, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's it's quite it's quite interesting. And there's other things like that that she was uh, involved in that I I didn't know about. But uh, so yeah, I mean she she played a big role. She wasn't just some random editor she helped you know piece together how it looked for us watching it so this isn't someone you just dismiss right uh you don't have to necessarily agree with everything she says but it's like okay well she has more weight than this random youtuber that clearly doesn't know star wars kind of a thing so (laughs) yeah absolutely and it's just like and and i think the idea of like I think the idea that it's just someone's opinion or like, like that, that, you know, you can just completely disbar her opinion uh, because she didn't like the prequels. It's like, okay, but like she still, all of her criticisms of the sequel trilogy were accurate. They were true. Like all of it was objectively like, you know, objectively holds to like, all of the problems that are that the sequel trilogy is riddled with, mm-hmm. um, and it's just yeah, I think the idea of just disparring that because like it's just I, I don't know it's like it, it I think I think she is very much dead on the money when it comes to how a, a good majority people uh, how a good majority of people felt about those movies, um, but um, but speaking about. Uh, Star Wars and the Jedi and all that good stuff. Now, Blake, you you sent me this story the other day that was like 
actually actually insane. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah. I like to do those things, by the way. Just send yeah, you things to drive you insane. Abyss of, uh, of Google. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so there's this, uh, there's this publisher called Scientific American, and they were founded in 1845, and they've apparently published um, works from like Albert Einstein, Linus Pauling, and J. Robert Oppenheimer. So they've, they've, they've got a history of typically publishing works from pretty established people. And, a little bit of a rapport. Yeah. And they recently came out and went after Star Wars, most more specifically Jedi. And they're concerned with how problematic the the Jedi are. And uh, it was published last week, and it's titled Why the Term Jedi is Problematic for Describing Programs that Promote... <laughs> so they, they take the word Jedi and they give it an acronym for describing programs that promote justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Jedi. The Jedi are inappropriate mascots for social justice, they argue. And apparently it's a group of five authors that contribute to this piece. Um, so they say the scientific world should jettison the Jedi, including naming anything after them or displaying any Star Wars memorabilia in common workspaces because the Space Knights are, quote, emblems for a host of dangerously reactionary values and assumptions. And so uh, I, every time I hear that, I, I just want to immediately throw up. Yeah. So you may be asking yourself, what what evidence do they give? What, what's their what's their reasoning? Well, here's here's what they what they cite. The Jedi are a religious order of intergalactic police monks prone to white saviorism and toxically masculine approaches to conflict resolution Violent duels with phallic lightsabers, gaslighting by means of Jedi mind tricks, etc. So that's that's one point they bring up is they're which they're is toxically not even, masculine, like, true at all? Because <laughs> like the Jedi, like are the to- polar opposite of that. They're trained to like not act on their emotions or their feelings, like to be to show restraint and to only use their lightsabers in defense. Uh, it yeah, I, I like. It just it just goes to show you that the people who like write this bullshit like they have no idea of, like they have <laughs> yeah. no knowledge about just the the just the, the little basic things about Star Wars. Yeah, it, it's really sad too because if you if you delve deep into especially legends content, I I don't really like ca- calling it legends, calling it the mm-hmm. expanded universe is what I like to call it. Yeah, that's what it used to be called. It, you know, you look at characters like. Like Bastila Shan from Knights of the Old Republic. Um, you look at Mary Jade. I mean, Mary Mary Jade uh, Skywalker is one of the coolest characters that I've seen in in Star Wars because she starts out as this assassin for the Emperor, and she ends up being sent to kill Luke Skywalker, marries him, and is just this insanely powerful Jedi. And it's one of my biggest complaints of the sequels is they didn't even they they like i guess they kind of mention her in the novel version of last jedi or force awakens mm-hmm. but it's in like a dream scene so it's not even real it, it she's such a cool character um so yeah that's another example um you know and there's there's other examples too of powerful female characters ahsoka she's like one of the most beloved characters in star wars right now so this this idea that they're they're toxically masculine characters the, the jedi council you know depa balaba was one of the council members 
um, Yodel and others that were female. Um, they also go on to say things like Star Wars arguably conflates alienness with non-whiteness, often seeming to rely on racist stereotypes when depicting non-human species. Even though the vast majority of the Jedi Council are aliens, yeah, and they're like, like incredibly wise characters, you know, the, the Grand Master of of the Jedi Order is Yoda. Yeah, <laughs> like. like <laughs> It's uh, <laughs> conflates alienness with non-whiteness. Well, okay, Mace Windu, one of the most powerful Jedi yeah. of that time, not exactly white, you know. Um, also, you mentioned this off air. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but the enemies, the the evil people in the Empire, are mostly white. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, and they're depicted in this Nazi type of of, of comparison. Yeah, and that's not an accident. (laughs) It is very clear who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Like, there's no ambiguity about any of that. Even with the first order of the sequels, that's even there's even, I would say, even closer comparisons to like Nazi Germany, Um, and most of those people are white. Like, yeah, exactly. This, you know, this is not accidental stuff that's happening. This is intentional. Um, And another point. uh, Go ahead. Oh well, I was just—I was a point out too. I—I I really think like the the real reason why these people are having to go on this massive cope spiral is because the the, the Jedi are in some aspects kind of a, a religious like sect, mm-hmm. and they can't associate themselves like they want to associate themselves as being the Jedi, but they're like, oh, but they're 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 religious, and we can't associate ourselves associate ourselves with religion, even though like their whole ideology and worldview is just like they hold to be this sacrosanct like uh, beacon of like creating a utopian society basically mm-hmm. it's like yeah and you know that's just it's it's so frustrating to see it, this is kind of what i mentioned earlier you know just dismissing opinions from these random people that clearly don't know things about star wars um and so another point here is the franchise's cultural footprint can be tracked in the saga of u.s military industrial investment and expansion from debates from debates around reagan's star wars strategic defense initiative to the planned joint enterprise defense infrastructure so i guess it's i guess it's saying that they're like trying to be you know military heavy and they're you know, kind of accepting of this this whole, you know, build up the military and the industrial complex. And it's like, again, the Jedi are keepers of the peace, not soldiers. That's what Mace Windu says. And normally, the, yes, that's true. You like, know that, you know those, you know that, 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 the, the, the order that brought about 200 years of peace? Yeah, they're the bad guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're the villains. <laughs> like, I don't... I just, I can't, like, melt my brain, dude. I just, I, it, Yeah, it, it it makes you speechless, doesn't it? There's just not it, much it, you can say. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, it, it's like, it's like, it's like they claim that they've watched these films, but it's like, the, it, it's, it's like they read, kind of skimmed over the spark notes of all these films and are like, all right, we're going to write a whole article about this. And it's like, 
it, it just it, it just only further goes to prove that they they have no basic understanding of anything about Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they would, they'd realize that there's there's a lot of things in there that because George Lucas isn't exactly a conservative; he's a liberal, you know, and he, yeah. you know, one of the one of the controversies with the prequels, especially Revenge of the Sith, was that it was a clear, in many ways, critique of the Bush administration, especially that line when uh, Anakin says, um, "Oh, what's what's he say?" He says, "If you're not with me, you're against me," which was basically a, almost a direct quote from George W. Bush saying, "You're either with us or you're with the terrorists," um, and yeah. just a critique of of the. But in, in some ways too, I mean that that was planned from like decades, like long before the Iraq war and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's, there's these things in there that if you knew George Lucas, if you knew what he valued and the characters that he developed, you would understand that none of those accusations are true. Like one of the, one of the coolest, I think characters, especially in the Phantom Menace is Padme. Because she's a queen, she's the youngest queen ever elected, and, you know, she's in charge of this planet. She's trying to, you know, keep safe from the Trade Federation, and it's, you can clearly see that he's trying to make this character a powerful character, similar to to the powerful character he made of Leia in the original trilogy, and kind of, you know, making parallels there. So it's like, if you just watch the films and you would notice these things you would understand that he's not saying white you know <laughs> white nationalism and aliens are terrible it's just like the ones that the ones that say that in star wars are never defined as the good guy that never yeah like <laughs> yeah like they're kind of on the the sith slash the empire like <laughs> yeah so it's it's and probably the, one of the best lines from this piece is towards the end when the article concludes by saying that any readers who might react defensively should ask themselves why they're prioritizing the cultural dreamscape of the Jedi over the real world project of social justice. How eager are we to fight Star Wars battles when that time and energy could be better spent fighting for social justice? And I was just like, like, well, then what the hell are you doing? Yeah, like, why are you, are you writing you this piece? This is, like. <laughs> Couldn't that be applied to you? Yeah, like, exactly. Oh my god! But but of course you know what the response is. Well, it's because so many people are invested in this. We feel we have a moral obligation to uh, bring attention to this disturbing <sighs> of thing. Of course, it's it's just there's there's always an excuse. It, you know that yeah. it, it's like um, it was for a completely different topic, but it's kind of how I view this kind of mentality in general is there's, there's no double standard with these people. It's always one standard. We're right. And it doesn't matter if we contradict ourselves, according to you, it's, it's your problem. It's your fault. Well, the reason that you think we're doing a double standard is because you're just, you're just being defensive and you're, you're not willing to look inward, you know? Yeah. Because they, they care more about the narrative than the, the actual reality of their argument. And it's like, yeah. Okay. Well, it's nice to have, all of these like ideals and everything, but if it doesn't fall in line with like essentially reality, then y- you have no like to stand on. And it's like, and it perfectly applies to this. It's like, y- yeah, you might hold all these like. I mean, again, I'm being very charitable here, 
he's <laughs> like very like uh like appealing ideals on paper but it's like but when you apply them to just how like the rea- like the how, the reality of how Star Wars is laid out the the universe of Star Wars is laid out it like it doesn't make any sense because it it doesn't apply mhm yeah, it, it makes no sense. It really doesn't. And, you know, it, it's frustrating, too, because that's one of the things that I've loved most about Star Wars over the years is there's something for everybody in it. I mean, it, no matter where you come from, what your background is, there's something there's something in it for all types of different people. And instead of it, it used to be something that brought people together, like even if you didn't agree on a whole lot else you could still enjoy and talk about these things. This is like, you know, with sports or, or anything else that... Yeah, just basic escapism. Yeah, and, which there's nothing wrong with. But now we are injecting politics into every single aspect of of culture and things that don't have any... I guess I shouldn't say with Star Wars doesn't have anything to do with politics because there's plenty of politics in Star Wars, but it's, it's but not But it made meant... sense within the context of of its universe like yeah it's the it's politics not, that are present in there yeah. yeah it's not meant to divide people it's meant to spark conversation it's meant to you know just just be entertaining and we we can't even do that anymore i mean it, you know sports are filled with politics um you know just regular you know like house shows and stuff on hdtv are filled with politics and yeah it, and, just and not just filled not just filled with politics but it like shoves it directly in your face and it's like mm-hmm. all right we're gonna have a whole thing about this now it's just like like nobody like at least for a majority of media that's out there like nobody seeks out media to have politics crammed down their throat like just a majority of people don't want that <laughs> like yeah it, it reminds me a few years ago during uh during a season of arrow which is about this DC Comics, you know, Green Arrow superhero. And, you know, normally it's just about, you know, fighting crime and trying to find the big bad of of the season. But just randomly in this one episode, they just jam a gun control episode down everybody's throats. And that's all it's about. It has nothing to do with anything <laughs> else happening in this in the series, in that season. It's just about gun control and how awful guns are. And it, it drew a lot of controversy at the time because it was just like, what was the point of this? And then, you know, um, I don't know if it was Greg Berlanti or, or whoever, it was one of the main writers said that, you know, we're going to do this every season and have some sort of episode dedicated to stuff like this. And then they conveniently got enough backlash that they never did it again, which was funny. But it, it's just things like that. It's just another example of people don't want, even people that would normally agree with the point you're making they don't go to these these programs, these movies and stuff for this kind of content. It doesn't mean you can't make shows or movies based on content like this, but if you're not if it's not about that, then stop injecting it where it doesn't need to be. So I mean we can go you know a whole show but, on that topic, but yeah, <laughs> but, but see and, and I'll I'll, uh, I'll just touch on this briefly, but it's like, it's impossible for those type of people though their their whole identity and worth is married to like basically this core ideology this like belief that you have to constantly be uh fighting against like oppression and 
uh, and racism and all, and all these different things. It's like they can't, their whole sense of worth and existence is tied up in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it it's pretty much all who they are. And, and a lot uh, of those and a lot of those people are getting these massive creative lead spots and it's like I, I don't I don't get how so many of these people are getting these positions. Yep, yep, it, it it's it's frustrating because I still believe that majority of people aren't in line with with that kind of think you know they they still mm. like to think independently they may not be conservative or liberal or whatever they just you know they just don't fall in line with the extremes that we're seeing on both sides but unfortunately because of how you know corporations work in these these different environments and with social media and whatnot the, the loudest voices are the ones you're seeing that are the most radical so I could that be wrong. True, yeah. We could be becoming more radical and, you know, generations from more now, extreme. maybe even more radical because of the influence that we're seeing today. But I still am clinging on the hope that there's some people out there that aren't crazy. Um, we're just <laughs> not hearing from them very often. But anyway, um, yeah, I think uh, I think we'll move on um, as we kind of wrap up the show here a little bit and uh, just hit on some less important items but things that are pretty cool so this is kind of a weird shift i know from talking about something so deep to going to you know video game perfect segue yes exactly but hey that's what we do here we're we're all about the awkwardness um so one thing i really wanted to touch on is that nintendo announced a switch online membership plan it's it's an extension of what they already have it's called nintendo switch online plus expansion pack and they didn't announce the price but it's supposed to come out i think i think in november maybe october it's supposed to come out later this year and it includes um a library of nintendo 64 games with newly added online play for up to four players um as well as some sega genesis games so from from interesting okay yeah so like you know castlevania um restar and uh, Sonic the Hedgehog from Sega Genesis and some other titles that I'm not familiar with. But uh, man, I played. I I had a Sega Genesis growing up, and I played the ever loving hell out of that console. Mm-hmm. So it'll be. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, that's interesting. I had no idea. Did um, did Nintendo like buy out Sega or something? Um, See, I'm not sure because you know I. Obviously, Sega doesn't make consoles anymore, but I still see them featured on Nintendo stuff quite a bit. So clearly they're allowed to, you know, be on Nintendo games. I mean, they have a pretty much every few years they have a Mario Sonic at the Olympic Games thing that they do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they uh they still find ways to incorporate Sonic. So that's kind of cool. Uh but they're also including with this you can get an N64 controller that will work with your Switch and you can also get a an so original Sega Genesis controller that if you want to play those games that you used to play back in the day with those controllers, you can, which is really cool. Um, so some of the, I'm trying to, I want to get a, a list of the games that you can get. Um, uh, also, right ju- uh, just a quick little thing. Uh, I did find out that apparently Sega isn't owned by Nintendo, but apparently they own a lot of the rights to uh, a lot of Sega games. 
Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, what what are your initial thoughts about this? I mean, the, right now they have the online membership. They have access to NES and SNES games. And people have been asking for a while, hey, we really want N64. We really want GameCube, which I'm hoping they'll eventually add some GameCube stuff in there. I mean, they've kind of with like a couple titles, but for the most part, it's been like old, old mm-hmm. Nintendo. So it seems like they're inching their way closer to like our era when we first started getting into games so (laughs) yeah i think um i mean i i I think it's a really good move um it it definitely incentivizes people to continue to buy into their uh online subscription service because i did feel like that was kind of my main qualm with um i'm not i'm not sure the specific name of their um their subscription service but um, but th- that was my main my main qualm with it was that they're just it didn't offer a whole lot. Um, like yeah, you could play online and uh, and there there were a little a few perks here and there at the time. But it seems like they've kind of stepped up their game in terms of like giving consumers incentive to uh, to buy into it. Um, because again, like there's just and I've seen a lot of people criticizing. Um, Nintendo for doing this, uh, for being too nostalgia heavy, quote unquote. But it's like, it, it, the, the problem you run into, it's like, because a lot of the time people who criticize that, they're like, oh, well, you should just go, go buy those games, go buy those consoles. It's like, okay, well, first off, the, the first problem you run into with that is that you have to find a console that actually works. Mm-hmm. You have to find a controller that is compatible with that, that console that will actually work. Uh, and then you have to find a game that also, uh, that, you know, good luck, A, finding the game that you're wanting to buy for that console, uh, and finding that specific game that is still is in functioning order. And that you can uh, afford. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> that's the other thing. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of these consoles and uh, games, especially, like, even with the N64, have skyrocketed. So, like, the idea that you're just going to go out and buy an N64 and buy Super Smash Bros. And, like, it's like, yeah, theoretically you could do it, but you'd spend an insane amount of money on what is essentially a gamble. Uh, Whereas with this, it's like, you know, yeah, it's emulation, but it's still, like, you're still playing those games. Like, it's not, not, not radically changing the experience, really. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, Nintendo has been very smart with the Switch because they have made exclusive titles that have been really good. Um, Mario Odyssey, I think, is one of the best Mario games I've ever played. One of the, like, solo Mario games that I've ever played. Um, and they, they've made some others, too, that have been exceptional. But they've also smartly relied on nostalgia as well because they've ported a lot of stuff that people really like playing. And it it plays in part to how successful their console has been. I mean, you're starting to finally see switches back in store. I mean, I, I go to stores and I still, you know, I'm seeing their Nintendo switch, um, you know, section full of switches now, whereas for the longest time you couldn't find one. Um, so that's cool. But I mean, people obviously are excited about this and it doesn't mean you have to be, but like it's, they're obviously, trying to appeal to their customer base because they're they're trying to bring titles that people really like playing 
um, back well, so like they, example, they don't have to fork over hundreds of dollars for a, a an outdated used system, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, and just kind of harping on, you know, kind of cleverly implementing nostalgia. I mean, Metroid Dread is going to be coming out, I think, sometime next week. And I mean, just from just from what I've been seeing of that game, it looks really cool. Um, and and the the decision to bring it back to being the the, the traditional classic uh, style of like the original Metroid games, like I think that is a really clever move because. Um, Man, the, the Metroid series was really needing some type of revitalization. And, uh, like, I don't know. It seems like, uh, just from what I've seen of it, it looks really, really promising. Yeah. And um, So here's here's a list of the games that they're coming out with, um, at least on N64. I'm trying to find a Sega Genesis list as well. Uh, but as far as the N64 now, some of these won't be available right away, but they're, they will be coming um, fairly soon. So Dr. Mario 64, which is basically like a Mario version of Tetris that's coming. Um, Winback, I've never heard of this one. Winback Covert Operations, uh, that's coming out. Um, let's see. Yeah, I've, I've never heard of that game, but it looks kind of interesting. Yoshi Story, that's coming. A Kirby 64, that I remember that being a popular game. The Crystal Shards. Mm-hmm. A Pokemon Snap, that's coming out too. Uh, Mario Golf 64, which I will admit, I don't know how many other people are excited about this, but I am extremely excited about this because this is like my one of my favorite Mario games I've played hours and hours on. Uh, so the original N64 Mario Golf, that's coming out later. Uh, Sin and Punishment for N64. Not heard of that one. Mario Tennis, uh, F-Zero-X, which that looks fun. That's a pretty popular game. Um, mm-hmm. Mario Kart 64. So the original Mario Kart 64, and it looks like you'll be able to play online on that, which that would be insanely Interesting. fun. Interesting, okay. Yeah. So that's going to be good. Paper Mario for the N64. Star Fox 64, which is... See, one- I played a lot of uh, Paper Mario. I love that game. It's just, Yeah. It's... I need, it I has need so much those. charm to it. Yeah. Um, Super Mario 64, which I couldn't help but, but chuckle at this one because they they recently came out with the Super Mario All-Stars game, which included Super Mario 64. Oh, but yeah, now they they're did. Not, but now they're not selling it anymore. So you can still buy it, but when it when they run out of copies, it's gone. But now you'll yeah. be able to play it on as part of this expansion right away. Uh, <laughs> another favorite, Banjo-Kazooie. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mask, and Ocarina of Time are all coming to the N64. <laughs> so those are, I mean, yeah. those are pretty big titles, you know. So I'm I'm very excited to play it. And uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to play some old school Sonic the Hedgehog as well. Yeah, I, I am like, I am inter- interested with a lot of these older games um, that... I played back in the day, but didn't play a whole lot of like how well they've aged in terms of like gameplay and stuff like that. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I man, all, all all those titles are like pretty spot on. Like <laughs> like yeah, at least for the the first wave, it's like yeah, those are those are some pretty good picks. Um, and from what I watched in the actual direct, they they seem to have said that you know, they're going to be adding more stuff later. So I really hope they add Donkey Kong 64, Diddy Kong Racing, yep. 
um, you know, some other classic Nintendo. I mean, we could go on about all the good stuff that people played. So, uh, and the fact that you can also like, granted, I think it's like 60 bucks, but if you want to buy like an, a Nintendo 64 controller to play those games on, you can, or a Sega Genesis controller and to, to really get the full experience. That's, that's pretty neat. So, yeah, so uh, they, so they way, haven't if announced you destroy if you want to destroy your hand on uh, <laughs> yeah, a little on, joystick in 64 joystick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good old days. So they haven't announced the pricing yet. So hopefully it won't be too bad. I think right now, if you want to get like a 12 month subscription for their switch online, it was it's like, what, 20 bucks. Um, it's yeah, it's, I mean, it's the, not the expensive. Buy-in rate, yeah, the buy in rate right now is is really cheap, especially for what you're getting. It's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good deal. Uh, I don't know, in my, in my opinion, at least. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll update you on that as that continues. I'm sure there'll be more things to talk about with uh, with the Nintendo Switch. But uh, yeah, as we uh, start to wrap up here, Spencer, was there anything else you wanted to bring up? I'm trying to think. Uh, the only other thing that I can think of right off the top, off the top of my head, uh, I did see uh some teaser material for uh the new season of uh netflix's the witcher uh for season oh, two and that's looking really promising um uh yeah it seems like they're they're very much keeping it in line with at least with season one um i, I know there were a fair amount of people like because like there there was a little bit so, some woke stuff in there at times but i think like collectively this still the Season one of The Witcher was just phenomenally well done, hmm. um, and I, I'm yeah, I'm really really stoked for uh, what what they're gonna what they're gonna bring to the table uh, with season two because um, yeah, interesting yeah I think I've watched most of season one, um, but yeah warning to anyone out there who cares about this you know there's there is some adult content in it so just be aware of that if you're not familiar with the witcher just just a little bit yeah so you know be prepared <laughs> to skip over that stuff if, if you're not into it but as, as far as like the actual story and the actual you know making of it's it's very well made and Hen- henry cavill as the witcher i mean exceptional well cap exceptional <laughs> casting decision on their part so. Yeah, I I was really surprised because like uh, whenever I because there a couple of years ago they released I think kind of like a, a first look as him playing Geralt and it just the, the the look the look at the time just did not match and it just it, it seemed really out of place and I was like I was really skeptical that uh, that they were going to be able to pull it off but like once once you see it in in the actual show you're like okay yep i get it now like it, mm-hmm. it 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 fits so well like nice yeah oh i we cannot let because we just got done talking about nintendo we cannot leave this show without bringing this up um i'm surprised i didn't think of it sooner so as part of the nintendo direct at the very end they announced that they're coming out with a super mario movie an animated movie with illumination studios which made despicable me and and some other pretty big uh, projects so they're they're partnering with them to make that and they announced the casting list for um the super mario project and um i i'm expecting it to be a little bit better than the uh i, I have to say probably the worst movie that i've ever than, seen than the original super mario bros the super mario brothers <laughs> which is like nothing like super mario um except the title uh so playing 
playing Mario is Chris Pratt from Guardians Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, they've got, they've got Jack Black as Bowser. Um, they've got Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. They've got Charles Martinet, the actual voice of Mario. He's going to be in the film, but he's not playing Mario. They just said he's going to be yeah, playing I some just, cameo stuff. I just so, don't, I don't understand the, the reasoning for any of that. It's like <laughs> you're not you're not going to have the original voice actors be in this movie. Yeah, like for their roles, it's just like I don't. It's such a bizarre decision, and it's like, it's like Chris Pratt. Like, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I like, I like Chris Pratt. Like, I, I thought he was excellent in like Parks and Rec and the Guardians films and and things like that. Like, I, I certainly have no qualms with him as an actor. But it's like, I, like, I just, I don't see the the re- like. Yeah, it, it, like, it doesn't strike me exactly. as a high-pitched Italian plumber. That's just not who I think <laughs> I know, of when right? I think of Mario. I don't think Chris Pratt. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and there's people out there that are just angry because it's Chris Pratt, not whether or not they think he could do it just because they hate Chris Pratt. Um, yeah. But there's also plenty of people that are just like, I don't know how this will work. I mean, I thought he did really good in Onward, the Pixar film, but he didn't really do anything with his voice it sounded like chris pratt yeah. the character he was playing so i think as far as acting goes he can do it but whether or not i mean because we we know he's not going to sound anything like the mario that we know or at least yeah. pretty close to not anything like mario but can he pull it off to where it's not embarrassing we'll see i, I think he can but i don't know man uh, until we, i guess until we see a trailer uh, i'm very skeptical it's supposed to come out next december of 2022 so you know we don't we're not gonna have to wait that long before we start getting like a trailer or teaser or whatever so hopefully in the teaser if they do a teaser first we actually hear chris pratt so that way we can get an immediate so that way if it turns out to be a disaster they can change their mind and say okay charles you can come back and do more (laughs) like like they cleaned (laughs) it up with the with the sonic movie they had to make some last minute adjustments to fix that mess so yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes, but uh, man, that was uh, that was that was gutsy. I I will say. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I I am not anticipating on it being good, but I mean, who knows? Like again, I didn't expect the Sonic movie to. Well, okay, I won't say that the Sonic movie was like great or anything, but it it, it certainly was not a, a complete dumpster fire like I was expecting it to be. So yeah, I mean, maybe 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 this movie will surprise me too, but I. I'm uh, like 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 you said. I am very skeptical about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people are. So, but anyway, thanks thanks everybody for stopping by and giving us the time of your day to listen to us banter on about the happenings and going ons of the world. We do appreciate that. If you would give us a five star rating and review, follow on whatever platform you like to listen to us on. We're pretty much on all the major platforms, so we would. Appreciate that, and we will catch you back next time. And I almost did it again. Forgot to mention at the end of of this show, we just passed our year anniversary of doing Wired In. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was actually early September when we did the first episode. But, yeah, it's been been just over a year now. So, yeah, we're very grateful that you guys have been sticking with us since then, and we hope that you – Continue to listen and spread the word about our show and help us grow. So 
we we'll have will... to throw a, uh, a massive rager for the uh, the anniversary bash. Yes, yes, we should. <laughs> we're we're obviously really good at remembering these things. So <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, but we will catch you back next time. Take care and have a good rest of your week, guys. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>